Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 34. As we record in the month of December for the first time, the temperatures may be getting cold, but our takes are still red hot. Stay tuned for updates and analysis on all of the Upper Midwest's NFL teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, one of your hosts, and I'm right here in Detroit, Michigan, where the Lions may have broken out of their permanent cesspool of losing and ineptitude, but now they're holding the Pistons beer. Now, let me introduce you to my co-host and friend, someone who would never raise the ante for insanity, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. It was a great weekend of not watching the Bears lose because they didn't play, so you can't have that happen. So we're good with that. Go Bears. Go Bears. If you like the show, we do uh, ask you to help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, recommending our show to your friends, or contacting us via our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. In this week's episode, we will, of course, bring you all the Week 13 reactions you come for. But first, we'd like to bid a fond farewell, perhaps a funeral, for college football as we know it. Uh, Well, the BCS committee has spoken. Michigan is number one after cheating their way to victories and not cheating their way to some victories. But, you know, so props to those, you know, last couple wins. They earned them. And uh, Washington's number two. That's a great story. Shout out to my cousins who went there. They're pretty excited. And props to Texas for coming back. Uh, Those were pretty much slam dunks. But somehow Alabama is in over an undefeated Florida State ACC champion. Power five. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. The winning the games do not matter to the committee apparently. Uh, yeah, and I mean, look the the playoff selection committee, BCS committee, Illuminati, whatever it is, were kind of in a no win scenario anyway, because you're always going to have some people screaming take the four best teams, it doesn't matter. And you're also going to have some people screaming, take the most deserving teams. And there are arguments that you're going to have either way, but I'm going to side totally with deserving if this is supposed to be a playoff and not a coronation. Because at the end of the day, I want a football season where games matter. And if you're not going to put a premium on undefeated, then what does the game actually matter? Well, even if not undefeated, Alabama struggled a lot against bad teams this year. The SEC in general was down. They had a losing record against the ACC, which is the two conferences in question that we're going back and forth on. Um, Florida State was not only undefeated, but they were 2-0 and against the SEC, including beating uh, LSU, which was a top 15 school. So apparently there's no point to having cross-conference plays if even in a vacuum – Everything about this matchup says the ACC champion should be deserving in over the SEC champion this year. Now, we're not counting the previous 15 years where the SEC dominated. You're not supposed to. It's supposed to be merit-based on this year. And the only argument is that Florida State lost their quarterback. Well, guess what? Injuries are a part of the game. You can't project them. I mean, we've had like guys like George Pickens out, Jameson Williams out, which are, by the way, SEC teams, we we know we're, we're letting them go. Um, a lot of teams have won with okay quarterbacks. I mean, the Ohio State University won with Craig Krenzel 20 years ago, and they won again with a third-string quarterback. 
And by the way, Florida State was at least getting their second string back for the bowl game. Yeah, I was about to mention something like that. But, I mean, you look at Florida State, they played multiple major Power 5 conference teams, including actual full road games against Florida and... uh, Yeah, they Uh, beat uh, Louisville on a neutral site with their third-string quarterback. mm -hmm. So... I mean, wouldn't you, if you're college football, wouldn't you want to reward a tougher schedule all else equal? And even if you're going to make the quarterback argument, they were 3-0 and without him. And I agree, they had a harder schedule. And it... Including the road game against Florida and beating a top 15 team in Louisville. Yes. And they also beat a top 16 team in Duke, etc. And like, it's just, it's crazy to me because it's one thing... We, first of all, we saw TCU get in last year, so it's not like you can't put in, you know, mid majors or whatever. But Florida State's a blue blood, and that's what blows my mind about it. Florida State has won national championships, including in the BCS era. Yeah, in the recent past, that's another thing that blows my mind. Deserving versus best argument is what Georgia was. Saying because Georgia was trying to make their case by posting last year's national title game score and saying, This is what happens when you put in deserving over best. But by that argument, then the college playoffs should have just been Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama and bleep everybody else. Well, but TCU still won a playoff game, so that's also stupid on their part, on Georgia's part, right? Well. Nobody ever. And, it's Georgia, and we see blowouts all the time. I mean, even the Ohio State University lost thirty-one to nothing against Clemson one year, and it doesn't mean they weren't deserving of it. They, you can't project the future matchup and all that stuff, but it, you have to go with deserving, in my opinion. And um, it's a tough break for SEC. But do you think this is the committee sending a message to the ACC because? Uh, a year from now, Texas will be SEC, Washington will be Big Ten. So when you really think about it, this this tournament comes down to Big Ten versus SEC, and the ACC is left out, and they'll be the last of the remaining uh, power conferences that hasn't been demolished by schools transferring. Big 12 still exists, but it will be a shell of itself. The Pac-12 will be gone, basically, as we know it. Well, I was just looking at it, and... Uh, it blew my mind because I'm looking, trying to find the AP top, the current AP top 25 mm-hmm. in uh, in football. Yeah, you have to go all the way down to 14 to find a team after Florida State that will not be in either the Big Ten or the SEC next year. And that's Arizona. Because Oklahoma's joined the SEC with Texas? Yep. Yeah, yeah, Arizona. That's the top one. 14. Well, we are one step closer to Big Ten versus SEC. That's all it's going to eventually be, and then there won't be any need for a playoff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just another thing that's screwy to me because I don't know how you're going to do conferences with 2024 teams where it's just where we're going and have and have those games against 
and actually play everybody in your conference. And it's completely ridiculous for not football. Oh, they the won't. Way. They don't play each other in the conference. In fact, most conferences are getting rid of their divisions, so you'll have even less credibility. Because, like, the ACC had an ACC title game, which was just the two best records. Well, that doesn't mean everyone played each other. So, you know, I think we lucked out that they pride the two best in this year. But, like, you're going to have years where Ohio State doesn't play Wisconsin or whatever, and they're both good, you know. Or you might have three or four teams that never play each other at the top, but you can only vote two of them in or not vote them in, but, you know. They, whatever you know, the procedure tiebreaker, is. Whatever the tiebreaker is. So as you get to 16 to 20 team conferences, it's it's getting really stupid, in my opinion. And um the easiest well, solution is just to do every what they do at the lower levels, which is just a playoff like they do in every other sport. Yeah, I'm not saying that big time college football and fantasy football have a whole lot in common. But one thing that does come to mind is when we were talking years ago about realignment in our league, mm-hmm. our fantasy football league. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you said to me that really hit home and I've really taken it to myself is. Whatever you do, make sure you keep the divisions as true round robins, because that's the only way that you know for sure who the best team in that division is, because they all played the same schedule. Yeah, exactly. They can earn it. And that was the whole point of the college football title games originally, because you had a true round robin division versus a true round robin division and unless something really screwy happened where you had a three or four way tie at the top or something Mm -hmm. then you knew that whoever went to play the other division was the best team in that division Mm -hmm. exactly we you know michigan in their victory over ohio state a couple weeks back won basically the last ever version of the game yeah at least the last time that the rivalry game will actually be the rivalry game. Well, because if Michigan and Ohio State are the two best teams in the conference like they were this year, well, then they'll just play the next week in the conference title game. Second one counts more. Well, to me, I'm just going to take this hyperbolically for a second because I think that the committee ignoring the actual football that Florida State played this year is a, is a very much symptomatic to a greater issue with college football and that is greed is slowly eroding at the is going to erode this uh this um this amateur sport because you're starting to see more and more I, I don't think it's shown up in the ratings yet but it's only a matter of time because we're seeing this in other sports where the players transfer too easily so the fans don't fall in love with them like they used to. And you're seeing now games don't matter if you win. You're getting these people from Pac-12, Big 12, now ACC just think that they're never going to have a chance in the first place. So why do we care? And this is all eventually going to ruin college football because the people who like it, there's a lot of people out there who like it over NFL because it's pure, the purity of the game. It's amateur athletes who are out there for the fun of it. And you can't make that argument anymore. And now, and I'm not saying that the players shouldn't be empowered to transfer, but it's not fun for the fans that support this with their money. All it is is money. Exactly. In college football, I, the only argument that I have with what you said is I wouldn't have used slowly to erode, just in eroding. Okay. This is going at light speed. 
I mean, it's killed my will to watch the games. I mean, I made a decision this summer in Texas, like I need to go to some bowl games. I live in central Florida. There's like six within an hour and a half of me and I have no urge to go anymore. And I don't have any fandom towards Florida state. I just think it made a mockery of the whole season. So why should I go to a bowl game and support this? And I'm not going to have the Alabama Michigan game on my screen uh, TV. It's not going to do much, but it's going to at least be my little boycott of not boosting the ratings. I will support Washington, Texas though. So the college football committee turns around and says the games don't matter. Yeah. And they put Alabama in over an undefeated uh power conference Florida team. state, mm-hmm. which, you know, there was a lot of faux outrage up here in Michigan land because Michigan thought they were going to be the two and get Florida state as a three and that it would basically be a freebie. They oh, thought nice. that would be a buy. So then when they went to one and Florida state wasn't four, they got all indignant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really wasn't because they were Florida state fans. It was because they thought that would be the easier game. Yeah, it's just selfish fans. I, I understand that being said, if you were going to say that the games don't matter, then you need to go all the way with it. And Georgia needs to be in and kick out Washington, forget them. Maybe you put in Oregon instead of Washington, because if all we're doing is the eye test and the budget and the payroll, then, you know, you can make, that was the argument that some people were saying games don't matter after all. Mm Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can also make this case for our school, which only lost one game to the number one team on the road by a game by by a score with the goal the ball in enemy territory. That's about as close as it comes to perfect. And um, you know, Oregon's only lost; yeah. they've lost two games, but it was by a field goal in overtime to the number two team, so they could be in there too. Um, yeah, but to me, like. It, to me, it is one of the. It was one of the easiest Final Fours, in my opinion. Michigan, Washington, and Florida State were undefeated Power Conference teams, and they punched their tickets. And then the number, then it comes down to Alabama versus Texas, which were one-loss conference champions, and Texas beat Alabama head-to-head. In done. Tuscaloosa, easy in Tuscaloosa, easy peasy done. That's your top four teams. I don't know why this is so hard. It shouldn't have been this hard, and. It's never been easier. And I'm sorry, like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Oregon were all very good teams. And they all have good resumes. And if this was a eight team or twelve team playoffs, they would be contenders. But based Which on what be we next saw, year. Exactly. But what we saw on the field, it was very easy for me to pick this out. And I don't understand how the committee does it, other than maybe they think Alabama and the SEC will make them more money, more ratings, and bring bigger ticket sales than Florida State, which is, I think, really what it came down to. Is it just yep. came down to, we want to put the teams in that will sell the most tickets and get the most eyeballs on the screen? Yep. I think that's the case of, of what exactly happened. And I think that's always been true, but it's never been as blatant as it was this year. Yeah. I, I think when Ohio State jumped TCU and Baylor years ago, that people were making that case, but that was a lot cleaner because Ohio State was a top four undefeated team. But then Ohio State lost their well backup quarterback. And they dropped them down to six. And then Ohio State beat Wisconsin like 70 to three. And then they go, oh, okay, I guess their third string quarterback's pretty good. We'll put them back in the final four. And to me, that is a lot cleaner. And I know people were crying that just Ohio State and over TCU and Baylor. But I think that the resumes made more sense at that point. And I think they did back up Ohio State over those two teams regardless. 
in no case was an undefeated major conference team let off left out until today. And even then, I think Ohio State was a one loss team. They lost early on. But that's right. Yeah, they, that was the year they lost to Virginia Tech in like week two. Yeah, and that was like the first game that JT Barrett played, and he was still getting his right. feet wet. Yeah, so right, the um, worst loss of of the group, but also the least relevant. It wasn't a bad loss, though. I mean, Virginia Tech was a ranked team, but uh, either right, way, was, yeah. Anyway, we don't need to talk about something ten years ago, <laughs> but exactly. it was just relevant for Florida State's case, and I yes. think Florida State yeah. really got hosed. And to me, it's not just that they got hosed and screwed over a fan base. I think they screwed over the entire credibility of the basis for their sport. Exactly. Um, Especially now that we've had our 10 minute get off our lawn segment, <laughs> let's drop the email here for uh, Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know what you think about the college football playoff or let's keep or back with the NFL. So getting to Sunday's action where let's begin with the Colts and the Titans 31, 28 uh, thriller ending. Uh, which featured the Colts coming out guns blazing, but the big news is Derrick Henry going down. <sighs> That's a shame. T- one uh, moment of silence. I believe it was a concussion, right? He was in pro- protocol. Right. I don't think it's going to be season ending. Okay, so that's good. But, I mean, Tajay Spears looked good. He's the rookie who had a couple knee surgeries, so he dropped in the, uh, the draft. But he looks great. He looks the part. He looks like a good heir apparent to King Henry. Tennessee's got something going for him. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry looked really good against the Colts, so I wouldn't say that Tajay Spears looked better. But I, he but he definitely looks more complete. Yeah, I'm going to say he's better than previous attempts at air parents for Der- Derrick Henry a couple of years ago. And I think right. that if Will Levis can continue to show flashes that he did week one, this could be a really good draft for the Titans. I mean, I know it's bleak this year. They had a very down year, but... It's the type of draft, if you get a good running back and a good quarterback, you can really rebuild on the fly. And they have a good coaching staff. I know I picked them to win the division. Obviously, they're not. They're going to finish last. But I don't think the future is bleak for the Titans. No, I also don't think there's a truly dominant team in the AFC South, and that's going to help any attempt at a rebuild. Yeah, and let's pivot more to that because, you know, obviously we cover the Colts and they won that game. And the Colts similarly lost their quarterback early on. They were a, they were so bad last year, they were drafting fourth overall. And then they lost that player. They picked it fourth overall. And Gardner Minshew, Florida man Minshew, has uh, been, you know, been very competent. They're six and seven and six. And uh, they are an underrated contender for the uh, South right now. And um, they're just getting it done. Like, they also you know, lost Jonathan Taylor uh, going into this game. And he was out earlier this year. He's he's the next closest thing to Derrick Henry when it comes to running backs, the heir apparent to possibly the best running back in the game, you know? And exactly. So they lost basically their two best players, their quarterback and their, um, and their running back, their star running back. And they are literally one game behind Jacksonville, who, by the way, is now out. Trevor Lawrence so that division is really very much open for grabs for the last couple weeks between Jacksonville Houston and our Colts so question when did every single quarterback get on the cover of Madden (laughs) I know we I was gonna say when we get into the uh, one more thing in the previews it's gonna get some get to some very ugly quarterback matchups. I mean, you got backups in Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Tennessee, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. 
And that's just the two divisions in the AFC we cover. Uh, yeah, this is kind of nuts. Uh, but <laughs> to, to pivot more to back to the Colts, they adjusted their game plan and have came out guns blazing with Gardner Minshew against the Titans, and he looked pretty good, which, yeah, the Titans' pass defense kind of stinks out loud, but mm, this but this was a coming-out party for Pittman. He had a day with 11 receptions for 105 yards and a touchdown. He has taken over the alpha dog role in Indianapolis because I know we talked about Josh Downs is showing flashes. Um, we thought that Alec Pierce would look really good with his deep speed pairing with uh, Anthony Richardson, who is obviously not there much. But even uh, Rich, uh, Anthony Pierce had a big uh, touchdown. He had 100 yards himself. But it really was the Pittman show. And I think he's turning into, if not a wide receiver one, at least a wide receiver one B, in my opinion. Yeah, he's somebody that you have to make the focus of your game plan. Because if you don't, you end up with these kinds of days. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would argue he's the best rep, and especially without Taylor and Richardson. You know, I mean, it, I think the future looks very bright for the Colts, considering uh, they were drafting fourth overall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they... They obviously got more out of their draft than Richardson because they are if they lost all those pieces and somehow they're still hanging in in the division race. And this is and, why and I believe if the playoffs were today they'd be in. I think so. The and this is where NFL why NFL's fun because things change on such a on in such a hurry because people develop, people get old, people get injured and you and know, there's so many moving pieces. And you're correct. They would be the third wild card right now ahead of Houston. Houston would be the first team out based on tiebreakers. And exactly, there's so many. And then there's also a lot of it is chemistry, coaching, et cetera. And I believe they have a pretty good coach. Steichen looks like he's doing the right things, you know, coming from yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. And whether it be Minshew or even Anthony Richardson showing flashes early on, it, it looks like he can coach in the way Frank Reich could not in Indianapolis, who is now jobless. R.I.P. Yes, who's him. making a lot of money for uh, for people to you know tell him to not coach. Exactly. On the negative side of the Colts, uh, Moss, the uh, heir apparent running back, was not so great, which the Titans do have a really good run defense, especially when they're expecting the run. Yes. But this did not go very well for him. Uh, and as a result, you know, that's one of the things that ended up causing them to go so pass happy. Yeah. I mean, he averaged 2.7 yards per carry on 19 touches and uh, two catches for six yards on the ground, which didn't help a lot. So it wasn't very explosive. His long was five yards, both on the ground and in the air. So yeah, he didn't really get the job done, but Minshew looked the part throwing for 300 yards and two touchdowns. So, and then we all know that is a very pass funnel offense. So props to Colts for getting the win and um, moving on to the next game, which was the Lions at the Saints. The Lions took a 21 to nothing lead, and then I left for the day, and I came back to see not a blowout. So, Joe, you stuck around and watched the whole game. What was your take on this? Oh, wow. this was, If you like fireworks, this was a, a game for you. Uh, the Lions started out fast. They went right down the field on the opening drive and then got an immediate turnover and pop that into another touchdown and then they got like a short field and a big play 
and they were right down and in the end zone again. It was 21 nothing before seven minutes were in the game. Wow. I mean, there were fans not even in their seats, and it was 21 nothing. Yeah, not and, even, like, and at this point, I'm thinking, boy, it's been a long time since I've seen the Lions blow out a halfway decent team. I'm in for a good even afternoon here. Not so much. Well, I, I feel bad because I texted Tony, oh, Giants or Lions are off to a slow start again, sarcastically, not realizing he was in a softball game and didn't know about it. And then he gets back to look turn on the game and it's a close game. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shoot, the Lions were up by a lot. My bad. I thought you were watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, There were a couple of big injuries that partly helped to change the tide. And I I think it was almost back-to-back possessions. Mm. First of all, Aleem McNeil, who is by far the best defensive tackle for the Lions, went down with a leg issue. They tried to come back in the game for a couple plays and then he went down and out again. And now he's on IR. The other was the injury to Graham Glasgow, who uh, looked like he got rolled up on. The good news is that one doesn't look super serious, but he still might not play in the next game. And look, when all five offensive linemen for the lions are healthy, all five starters, This entire team is a juggernaut. They were running at will against a pretty decent New Orleans run defense. Then Ragnar went out. So they shifted Graham Glasgow to center from right guard. They put in some rookie Kobe Sorsdahl at right guard. I don't know what that name means, but I think Dan Campbell thinks it means can't play because all of a sudden they were pass happy. And that did not go anywhere near as well. Well, I want to put some numbers into your, your the injuries just to quantify, because a lot of people aren't very familiar with defensive line plays, especially with these linemen and yeah. offensive line. So your defensive lineman, Alan McNeil, is currently graded on PFF six out of 126 defensive tackles. That is elite. You might not know him, right. but he has been elite this year. On the offensive side, Graham Glasgow is ranked ninth out of uh, 76, and Frank Ragnow is ranked third out of 39 centers. These are top 10 elite linemen, all three of them. This is underrated, huge injuries. So it is pretty impressive. They don't get, they're not household names because we don't, you know, we don't know the, the, we don't talk about offensive linemen. We don't usually talk about defensive tackles unless they're getting 10 sacks a year. Exactly. Unless they're Aaron Donald. So, but these are underrated players that make guys like Jared golf look great. Yeah. The, After that, the game was much tougher, and there were two very large developments afterwards that I want to talk about. The first was, welcome to the NFL, Sam Laporta. Nine catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown. He was unstoppable. I mean, he did it all. He was getting nine targets, caught all of them, even at a major play, a 48-yard catch. I mean, this is not your just a possession guy. This guy is a big play guy. He can get open and earn targets, more targets than the sun God did. And also he can block. He is arguably 
I would think he's the, I think he's the heir apparent to being the next best tight end in the NFL um, when Travis Kelsey finally retires. Uh, I mean, so for those of you who don't know, Taylor Swift's boyfriend retires eventually. And uh, this is kind of crazy to me because the, the, the Lions have been notoriously drafting bust after bust in the first round at tight end. And then they cool their jets and wait till the second round where they had an extra pick and they snatched up possibly the best one they've seen. I might be a little bit excited, but his online play is matching the college profile. I saw at at Iowa and this guy, he's a Dan Campbell guy. He is one of the first to go there. He's a guy who came back from injury to play a meaningless bowl game for Iowa last year, just because he wanted to be on the field with his teammates for no other reason. We're in in an era where people, sit out bowl games to protect their injury draft status. So I love him as a Bears fan, as a NFL fan. So I, as excited as you are, I am just as excited as a Lions fan to see him. The other play was the veteran Bruce Irvin. And I think this was the play of the game. The one that the most impactful play Bruce Irvin, you know, high, high level defensive end that had been you know, retired and the Lions signed him a couple games ago. He sat out the last two weeks to get in football shape. They put him in for 11 plays and on this and on one of them, he got to Derek Carr clean. And I mean, at full speed run looked like a Goldberg spear. I mean, he just power bombed Derek Carr landed on him flags that absolutely 110% deserved. Like it was a textbook. This is roughing the passer. (laughs) And that was the play that Derek Carr got hurt. Oh yeah. Kind of hard to win without your starting. And then J-Mo came in and uh, James Winston came in and completed two passes. Yeah. 40 yards though, but for two passes. Well, that does sound like, like uh famous Jameis, you know, Mr. Mr. Crab legs himself. Exactly. I mean, that's when you I'm not saying you do this and I'm not saying you want to see players get hurt. But, you know, when you start thinking, OK, 15 yards to wipe out a quarterback. Hey, it's ironic the game. that this happened against the Saints, who are notorious for having their headhunting scandal with Greg Williams, a defensive coordinator who would literally pay his players to try to injure other team, the other uh, the offensive players on the other team. From that, it was super close the rest of the way. And the Lions just made a couple extra plays and. Jameis Winston made a couple too many plays on the field. It was really funny, though. The Saints fans, by the middle of the first quarter, the Saints fans were booing any quarterback who lined up under center or in shotgun that was not Taysom Hill. He does. He is the scariest player. I, I, I Just going back to when they played the Bears a few weeks ago, it was much scarier when seven was in the game than three. And I believe three was Derek Carr and seven was uh, Hill. I mean, he might at this point, he's an old guy. He's a probably a pretty good quarterback. He can read it. Even has been in the league for a long time, but Aline McNeil went out. Taysom Hill's plays were the only plays that new Orleans run where their offense did anything. And that's the same stuff I saw the last time I watched the saints game. On to the Cardinals at the Steelers. This game, if you want to call it a game, was just all kinds of ugly for Pittsburgh. They, the fans are irate, and they have every right to be. The Steelers looked like they did not show up. 
I mean, they got blown off the field. I mean, they start off three to nothing, whoop-de-doo, and then the Cardinals scored 24 straight points before Trubisky hit Deontay for a stat-padding fantasy run for Deontay because no one's starting Trubisky. But it was a 24-10 final at home against... That felt like 124. Yeah, and just remember, I know the Cardinals got um, Kyler Murray back a few weeks ago, but they were also sitting on the two spot for drafting. And if <laughs> they're not a good team and Kyler Murray's good, but he's not elevating them. And the Steelers are in the middle of the playoff run and a division race in a really tough division. This is inexcusable loss. And you can't blame it on Canada anymore because he's not there. It sure looked like a Canada offense, though. The only difference from the kinds of things that they were doing under Canada versus this past week is okay. Now Najee Harris is getting feature back carries instead of it being a 50, 50 times share with Jalen Warren, which is also weird because Warren looked really good and they named him the starter and then continue to give the ball. And I know Najee was really good last week. So I don't want to take away from this, but this week it was back to 6.6 yards per carry for Warren and 3.9 for Najee Harris. So a lot of the uh, stats guys are angry. Although Warren only put up negative four yards in the air. Normally he gets a lot on the ground. Uh, uh, he makes up a lot there. But it is weird. Um, it's weird. It, Deontay, I think, had his second touchdown of the season, which makes him two more than last year, which is pretty good considering he missed a large portion of this season. But he's not getting targets like he used to. We're talking 5-5-5 five, five, five between Pickens, Deontay and Fryermuth. Uh, Fryermuth had a breakout game last week, but he turned back into a pumpkin this week. But I mean, we are now living in the Trubisky era because Kenny Pickett is now out two to four weeks with an ankle injury. Yeah, we kind of buried the lead there because Kenny Pickett, it's officially a high ankle that he is going to have surgery on. And they are in Pittsburgh fully expecting this to be a four week injury. Although it might still be a, a two-week, but they're bracing for four. And it looks like it's going to be the Trubisky train for the next month or so. And at that point, you know, are they going to have a playoff run left? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be curious because um, um, I got to watch a lot of Trubisky. I was not super impressed. Uh, but he is one of these candidates that has the talent um, physically that if given enough time, he probably could let the defense, the defenses could slow down and he could become a solid NFL quarterback as a veteran. And we are about to find out the hard way if he's made progression since he left Chicago three years ago. He wasn't exactly impressive in his, you know, I mean, he was seven for 10, which was okay, but he did lose a fumble, which is kind of the Trubisky I expect. He tends to turn the ball over and him being more conservative hasn't really seemed to avoid that. It's just made him less explosive. So um, I feel bad for Steelers fans right now, but guess what? Steelers, the Bengals and the Browns are also playing with backups and they are winning. So you got to find a way. And uh, as we mentioned, the Colts too. So uh, this is how we play. We're not going to vote you out of the playoffs because you lost your quarterback. This isn't college. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good thing for Jacksonville too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, the thing that is starting to jump out at me is this is a team that's looking like it's got some Twitter drama issues 
because once again we had a player create drama after the the game when they went on i think it was social media mm-hmm. and it was jalen warren that basically came out and said that we took arizona lightly i believe that based on the results yes that is the problem but if so, that is practically a fireable offense. And even if it's not so, mm-hmm. they've got a loose lips sink ships problem. And that is 100% fact. I mean, it's not every week we have some Steeler going off, you know, and now that Canada's gone, there's that's, there's not a unifying factor. There's that. nobody left to blame for that except Tomlin, which yeah. let's, you know, all, you don't have to talk to Steelers fans very long before they will tell you that he has an Urban Meyer problem where he will have exactly one completely mind boggling, inexcusable loss every single year. Mm, that's fair. This was it. So, yeah. but, mean, you know, you are starting to wonder who's running this this ship. It's going to be interesting not to step on it, but it's a short week, so there shouldn't be a lot of time for them to sit around and create drama. But if things go bad on Thursday, they have a full 10 days to implode. So this is going to be a big game coming up for them. So hopefully if they were overlooking uh, Arizona, they're prepared for Patriots. So um, on the flip side of things, uh, James Conner looks like he's back because he's we kind of forgot about him because, you know, bad team and he's a little bit older. But this was a underrated a little bit. Yes, but underrated revenge game. Longtime Steeler who outshined Najee Harris, who they shivved to replace him with, uh, with their first round draft pick. And um, Connor has arguably been a better running back since he's left the Steelers than Najee Harris has been since he's been a rookie. And I don't think Najee's been bad for the record. No, uh, James Connor is underrated. But yeah, for those of you, especially in fantasy, you can count on James Connor for third down work until further notice they look legitimate. He was the engine of this team. It was not the quarterback or the passing game. I mean, a hundred yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he's going to win a lot of fantasy football games for you last week, unless you're Tony who had him on his bench in his dynasty team, but still put up the most points in the week week. So shout out to friend of the podcast, Tony. Yep. <laughs> on to the afternoon games, the Browns at the Rams, where a lot of the things that we've been kind of saying all year and not just about, the Browns are kind of coming to a head here. This was a case of the Rams pulling away to the tune of 36 to 19. The defense just kind of wilted as everything that can possibly support it has gone away. Yeah. I mean, this is the start to the Flacco era in Chicago, in Cleveland. Which Flacco was fine statistically at least but the safeties had no fear they were crashing down on the run all game and you can tell that from the the stats jerome ford nine carries 19 yards kareem hunt 12 for 48 and this is not a rams defense that has done a great job against the run all year so they just stunk out Mm -hmm. and were willing to play the receivers one-on-one down the field this was a hundred percent a you have to beat us through the air because we know you want to run and rest your defense. And you have basically a fourth string quarterback who is a street free agent, <laughs> you know, pick up mid a couple weeks ago. So yeah. who do we want to beat us? The young, hungry running back, the veteran running back that's wily and elusive or the dead body of Joe Flacco. 
I mean, he was literally out of the league. <laughs> you know, at, at for over point. a year, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, he lost out his starting job to Zach Wilson last time I heard of him. I mean, he might have made a stop somewhere else outside of New York, but that's what I remember. And uh, this is bad because we t- I talk about this like a you know broken record, but teams with bad quarterback play and good defense, eventually the defense, their bracket's broken from carrying too much weight, and they fall apart. And giving up 36 points to Matt Stafford in the, in the McVay Reds Rams – yeah, they are good, but the Rams have not been that good this year. And Cooper Cup didn't do a whole lot. He had he was held under 40 yards. No, this is another running back looks like the real deal kind of games with Kyron Williams. He came back and immediately has exploded again. So mm-hmm. 80 yards and a touchdown. So guys like this guy, keep in mind for your waiver runs or your playoff runs in fantasy because – uh, he is could be a potential league winner for those who caught him off the waivers and then uh, held him on their roster while he was on IR midseason. So, um, unfortunately, has, it wasn't good news for the Cleveland, but was it? Has Puka passed Cooper Cup and everybody else to be the number one receiving target in Los Angeles? I mean, he did have 100 yards and a touchdown, but he did get out-targeted by Cooper Cup 7-8. to eight. But they've basically been the Spider-Man meme since, in games that they've been healthy when it comes to earning targets. So they have a 1A, 1A type uh, situation right now. And as long as Matt Stafford is healthy, the Rams are very dangerous because they have good running backs and good receivers. Yeah, there were... 44 pass attempts by Joe Flacco for the Browns. That's a lot for corpse. (laughs) But Elijah Moore was hugely targeted because Amari Cooper got himself concussed and was Uh, out of the game. 12 12 targets for 83 yards, although it only caught four of them. But remember, this is an underrated thing if you're looking for waiver pickups late in the season. Elijah Moore played with Joe Flacco in New York two years ago before they drafted Garrett Wilson, and they had a pretty good connection there. And that connection might continue over the next few weeks as long as Flacco stays the starter. And even if Amari Cooper comes back, you might still see uh, Elijah Moore getting a good target share. So... Just keep that in mind. Of those 44 attempts that Joe Flacco threw, though, what I was getting at, Mm -hmm. only 11 were completed to receivers. 11 Uh, of his 23 completion. Uh, That does not count running backs and tight ends. So a whole bunch of his completions were underneath. Mm -hmm. And even to some of the receivers, like David Bell caught two, but for 12 yards. (laughs) You know, so like he wasn't getting the ball downfield. And like you said earlier, he didn't keep the safeties offense uh, honest. And that's a shame because it, in, in Flacco's prime, he was a big arm quarterback. That main purpose is to keep the defense, you know, the safeties honest and open up the run game. And he's going to need to do that next week. If the Browns are going to start winning games is he needs to take some shots early. In my opinion, that's more yeah. for next. That's more for the one more thing though. The more I see of Joe Flacco, the more I realize how incredible Jim Caldwell was. Cause that was his, coordinator for those powerhouse Baltimore teams. Well, let's not retroactively kill his career because what he's doing as a 40-year-old off-the-street free agent. (laughs) Um, I do think that a lot of what you do see is older quarterbacks they don't like getting hit, so they start getting rid of the ball sooner and sooner. And we saw that at the end of Tom Brady's career, Peyton Manning. Well, Manning's lost his arm strength. Tom Brady and, and uh, Roethlisberger never really lost their arm strength. They just stopped like getting hit. And Flacco's probably <laughs> in that 
you know, he's that in could that, be. Yeah, he he's in. But that I thing. would, but I would also say that the decline of Joe Flacco started the very instant that Caldwell was hired away by the Colts. Mm, okay. If you look statistically by season by season, uh, in I any don't case, think we have that kind of time to look through that today. But <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. But I'm just throwing that out there. Yep. Uh, on to the Sunday night game, and this was a classic in many good ways and some horrific. Chiefs at Packers. The the uh, Patrick Mahomes Lambeau Field debut. Kansas City, I think we need to realize, has absolutely zero downfield passing game. This was, in hindsight, the way this played out, a perfect matchup for the Green Bay Packers defense because the pack because not only did the Chiefs have very little downfield passing, which a lot which is kind of the strength of the Packer defense. So they could kind of address that with a minimum of, you know, personnel and effort. The running game is dried up for Kansas City also. So, which is always the weakness that we've talked about of the Packer defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ended up with a very close game all the way through. I mean, here's all you need to know. Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling had, was third in targets with five. He only caught two. For the Chiefs, and I think the Packers are very happy that the Chiefs gave him that big contract for their uh, compensatory pick. I'm pretty sure they are more than happy because MVS would not even crack the starting rotation for Green Bay this year with those young quarterbacks or receivers they've drafted over the last two years. So, And he's their downfield threat. Yeah, As you said earlier, they have no downfield threat. Yeah, Valdez Scantling has shown time and time again this year that you do not need to cover him with anything more than a than a second or third corner one on one, even yeah. if he's going down the field. Well, and that's the thing is he's a classic. He has a good forty time, but he can't run routes. Because and what happened is I, I was listening to this in the preseason. I think it was on one of the PFF podcasts, and it's bared out. He cannot get off press coverage. So if you just put one guy one-on-one with them and bump him, he can't get downfield. So his speed doesn't matter. He doesn't keep the safeties honest because he can't get off the line of scrimmage. I would also say that in each of the last like two, three games or three of the last four, something like that, he has had just a soul-crushing drop on the deep ball at the end of the game. Well, that, there we go. No, He can't run routes and he can't catch the ball. Yeah, I mean, he literally lost in the game a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. You know, the, the the memes uh congratulations on MVS for being the first play- man in history to make the NFL with no hands. Yeah. You know, but I don't want to make this too much about the Chiefs because the Packers really did play an incredible game, especially on the passing offense because their own running game still left something to be desired against a very very solid Kansas City defense. But they gotta- were throwing it just fine. And I got to tip my cap. I think Jordan Love is starting to show signs. You know, I was very critical on him midseason when he, you know, threw interceptions and three losses out of four games. Um, But he looked very poised. The Chiefs have underrated one of the best defenses in the league. People don't talk about that because we talk about Mahomes and, you know, Taylor Swift. But their defense has really carried the Chiefs all year. And Love looked comfortable. He threw for a modest 270 270 yards, but three touchdowns. And he, he didn't throw interception he didn't turn on the ball over he only took two sacks and he spread the ball around too watson had 70 you know 70 yards dubs had 70 yards 
even Wicks had 50 and uh, backup tight end Tucker Craft has stepped into Musgrave's role and been pretty productive, a fellow rookie third round pick. So they're making he's making the most. He's spreading the ball around. Um, A.J. Dillon continues to be boring, um, but he's there. Um, but it's really the offense and uh, the, the, the passing offense is carrying him. Yeah. Christian Watson has emerged. He's got, he was far and away the leading targeted receiver with mm-hmm. nine. Next closest was Tucker Craft with six. 70, yeah. se- and they were big catches seven receptions, 71 yards, two touchdowns. They were going down the field. And some of those brought down the average significantly because it was like a three yard shovel pass for the mm-hmm. one of the touchdowns or something like that. He would, this was. Christian Watson was becoming plus Jordan Love, of course, becoming the engine that made this offense go against Kansas City. He's the turbocharger, in my opinion, because he's the last two weeks is when he's had his good games, and those are two big wins by the Packers. Yeah, don't sleep that, on him. This that, is a team that. that is waking up at the right time, and unless the Lions can figure out some stuff on their end, they are very much in play for the NFC North. And just to give the Packers props, they've won three straight in four or five. Their only loss was a uh, four-point loss to Pittsburgh, which was the one that, you know, loved through two touch- two interceptions. But he's really turned the corner since then, and they won some close games against the Chargers, the Lions, and now the uh, Super Bowl champs, Chiefs. So the NFC North is starting to look pretty formidable, in my opinion, very underrated as Washington or Green Bay and Minnesota have quietly crept into the 500 uh, range and are now on the fringe of the playoffs right now. They're both playoff wildcard teams right now, despite being six and six. They would be the two and the three C wildcards right now based on tiebreakers. Well, even if you just look at the Bears, not to jump mm-hmm. ahead of ourselves too much here. Who would you rather play right now? The last place team, the Bears or the Steelers? Who would you, the Bears or, uh, you know, the the Panthers, Washington. the Bears or Arizona, the Commanders? Washington. The yeah. Bears, yeah. As far New as England. the last place team goes. <laughs> New England, Las Vegas. I mean, I think it would be the Bears. I'm not the... saying that the, that the Bears are you know, heading for the playoffs, but well, for a last place, it, it's – not looking, totally, yeah, totally looking at it, um, it's the Bears or the Bengals are probably the two best last place teams. And we are going to get onto the Bengals right now because they just had a major. Oh, wait, no, no, we can't go onto this yet. Bad segue. <laughs> we got one more thing. Big thing. Uh, the refs yeah. um, left their mark at the end of the Packers Chiefs game. You want to talk about this for the fans? Yeah, there were a number of highly questionable calls at the end of Packers Chiefs. Which, of course, the Chiefs fans are all up in arms about because the mm-hmm. Packers, because that's what fans do. But yep. especially fans that have won a lot and are looking for excuses as to why losses happen. Uh, the, the first really. So, first, you had the first screwy call was you had Patrick Mahomes escape the pocket and start running down the right sideline. Headed for the corner, and with both feet firmly in bounds, gets slammed into by the uh, Packers corner, who kind of bounces off of him, and Mahomes staggers out of bounds. And there's a 15 yard unnecessary roughness flag for for it. Like 
Patrick Mahomes was completely inbounds. He was not necessarily going aimed to be going out of bounds. It was still a perfectly live play. Even the, you know, the official, the referee commentator who mm-hmm. always protects the in-game officials was like, yes. that is a horrible call. There is no way that should be pat- a rough in unnecessary roughness. That was how this kind of started. Then you had uh, later, they kind of took it back when Patrick Mahomes tried to find Marquez Valdez Scantling on a deep throw. And they didn't, you know, and they basically tackled MVS at the 10 yard line. And it was ruled not a foul. No penalty for pass interference on one of the more obvious calls you're going to find. And the rules analyst was once again, uh, that's a foul. Again, throwing the officials under the bus. So, I mean, it kind of ended up evening out. And then I'm not even talking about the end of the game, Hail Mary, where you will never ca- get a penalty call. Yeah, I'm but, not going to complain about that. Yeah, Travis Kelsey was, you know, shoved into the next county. But, you know, that's that's a typical that's Hail Mary. Almost play. ever. It's, it's 500 this it's it's we played it on the playground it's no hold exactly (laughs) so yeah yeah it's not that there was it's not that it swung the game i don't think it did because it kind of evened out but the officials were certainly all over the game and i think we'd like to see the officials be better more consistent especially when we have booth replays and stuff and a lot of stuff i'm not saying these affected this one but like you know, knock on wood, I hope they get better. Yeah, that um, was a very bad drive for that officiating crew. Yeah. So, um, as we were talking earlier about last place teams and how Chicago might be the best, the uh, the best by record is easily the Cincinnati Bengals, who a week ago we might have been like, eh, I want to play the Bengals. But then we saw what Jake Browning could do, and it looked to me like – the Bengals coaching staff knows what they have uh, watching him play in the practice because it was expected that someone with his experience or lack thereof would be handing the ball off and throwing mostly on third down off of play fakes on third and 10 when no one was buying a play fake <laughs> or just throwing check downs or screen passes on third down. Um, or they came out and they, they had a balanced passing attack and he looked good. They were moving the ball well and um, they were not afraid to let him uh, cook well, at first, this came out exactly like they had in last week where they were limiting Browning to football caddy for the running backs and a dink and dunk underneath stuff. And it was working about as poorly as it did last week. And then all of a sudden, on the third Bengals possession, I don't know if somebody got in someone's ear, but the training wheels came off. Jake Browning was allowed to throw down the field. And all of a sudden, it was like Burrow who? Dude, to put this in perspective, Jake Browning was 32 of 37 for 86% completion, 9.6 yards per attempt, which is huge, and 354 yards. I mean, he looked better than – that's better than Mahomes has played statistically this year. And um, so anybody who rage benched Jamar Chase is going to be upset in fantasy. He put up 11 catches on 12 targets for 149 yards and a touchdown. He was a monster. 
And um, he but Browning wasn't just throwing the ball down the field. Mixon was second leading target with seven targets and six catches for 49 yards underneath. Um, also, while, you know, scoring two touchdowns on the ground. So he spread the ball out. Boyd, Higgins were involved. Their uh, tight ends were involved. He looked like a veteran, to be honest. That yeah. was pretty impressive. I, I don't think – I think it's – I had a um, eulogy postmortem on the Bengals uh, season last week, but I think I spoke too soon. Yeah, there were a lot of people, you and I both included, that, you know, put – that were, you know, throwing a whole lot of slander at Jake Browning, and he proved a lot of people were wrong. Agreed. Um, now, the <laughs> part to not – the part to temper the uh, expectations, though, despite Browning's good play, is the Bengals' defense has not been good. I know we've given them some praise in the past, but like looking into it now, they are a bottom three defense, statistically speaking, and they're still giving up a lot of plays, despite Trevor Lawrence not having a good year this year. He's, he had one of his better years against the Bengals' defense before he got injured. Um yeah, I think there was, uh, looking back at it, I think there's a lot of case of great offense protecting mediocre defense. Yes. That's not happening now. And they've, I believe the Bengals are a bottom two or three defense in terms of giving up big plays, chunk plays, 20-plus yarders. I believe that. And uh, even even C.J. Beathard came in in relief, for, and he, was, he completed 90% of his passes. So... Um, now they did get to him. They sacked him twice and they sacked Bur uh, Trevor Lawrence twice. So at least they've been putting pressure, but you know, pressure can be turned, can create a turnover, but if you don't have a secondary, it can, and you don't get that pressure, then it results in a big play. So, um, right. so yeah. So, I mean, it's unfortunate, um, that the defense hasn't been better because they need to lean on them more without Joe Burrow. But other than that, it doesn't seem like Trevor Lawrence's injury will be season ending, but it does affect their playoff run a lot, as we talked about more with the Colts breathing down their neck as well as the Texans. Um, Bengals are in last, but they are still frisky. They're right. They're one game out of the playoff wild card as if the season were to end today. So uh, don't give up on the season, Bengals. You still got a shot. So it's they're fun to watch, and it was a fun win. I think it was an overtime victory. Um 34 to 31 the uh jake browning versus cj bethard bar burner we all were hoping to end our uh football week on on monday night yeah the bear speaking oh. of uh bethard the trevor lawrence injury to me this was kind of weird because some of the medical sports people that i follow were specifically saying before the announcement that this does not look like a high ankle. This is not the kind of movement rotation twist that you usually see with high ankle sprains, but it was officially announced as a high ankle sprain. So it mm. doesn't look like the leg injury is going to be season ending. He's going to, probably going to be out a while, but I don't know what it really is. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know either, but I will say fantasy football wise, CJ Beathard like. When he played for the Niners, he threw the ball a lot to George Kittle, who um, obviously is George Kittle, one of the greatest tight ends of the game right now. But Evan Ingram had his best game of the year. So if you have Evan Ingram and if you see him on your waiver because someone might have given up on him being disappointing, he might have a good playoff run in him with C.J. Beathard. Apparently he likes throwing to him. So just something to keep an eye on from a Evan fantasy Ingram did break the, the schneid and get his first touchdown of the season this past week. Yeah, I believe uh, one of the Panthers' terrible receivers is now the guy with the most targets without a touchdown. So congratulations. 
<laughs> one of their terrible receivers. Yes. I forget who. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Bears and the Vikings got to enjoy the being some of the last teams on a bye. So this pretty well covers week 13. We are down to week 14. Tell us what you think at Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Be part of the show. We would love to have you. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. But it is time for one more thing. This is the part of the show where we pick next week's games. We pick all of our games straight up, which is hard enough in the NFL. We don't do against the spread. And we also say one more thing that we want to examine as part of the game to help us learn more about the particular team. So we're going to start with the short week that you alluded to earlier, the uh, Steelers and Patriots. The Steelers have the home field here against a Patriots team that is looking like the wheels are falling off. Brian? Oh, my God. This in the 90s would have been amazing. Uh, what a great rivalry. A lot of fond memories of playoffs between the 90s and 2000 Steelers and Patriots. But this is not that. We have um, Bailey Zappi maybe at, versus Mitchell Trubisky. So what I want to see is Mitchell Trubisky, who's not known to be the quickest between the ears, is going up against a great mind. And for all of the Patriots' shortcomings, uh, losing three games without scoring 10 points, their defense has been pretty good. I believe they held their opponents the last three weeks to 10 points or less. And um, Trubisky... Can he hold up against the Belichick defense or will he implode? Because that is what will decide the game, in my opinion. This is an this could be another one of those games where you don't have the elite quarterback play. You don't have a great offensive system. The Steelers have a fantastic defense. But at some point when the defense is on the field all day for both teams, something's gotta gotta give. This is one of those where you're going to see a lot of people pick up the Patriots and Steelers defense to start in fantasy. And one defense is going to reward them by scoring two touchdowns. And the other is going to punish them by not scoring the touchdowns and then getting the points ran up against them by the other defense. We see it all the time. And this could get ugly. Um, I am one of them. In other words, one of them is going to be Iowa and the other is going to be booty Iowa. Exactly. And I hate to do this, even though the Steelers are playing at home, I just have seen too much Trubisky, and I just think Belichick is going to trick him into multiple picks and possibly some pick sixes that will swing the game. I could see the Patriots winning this without an offensive score, to be honest. All right. I think the pressure is actually on the Steelers' run defense here because I don't think we're going to have Ramondre Stevenson. I think he's out for the – uh, conceivable future, but and that brings up Ezekiel Elliott or whatever cadavers they can find in the backyard. And if the Steelers can't do anything with that, then they're going to be in for a long game. But I do like the Steelers in this game. At the end of the day, I think it is lousy offense versus lousy offense, good defense versus great defense. And I'll take great defense. All right, moving on to our Sunday games. We'll start, we got three at one o'clock, including two two-for-ones. So we'll have two two more things on this one. We'll start with your Detroit Lions in Chicago at my Chicago Bears. What's your one more thing for the Lions? 
I want to see Jared Goff play smart turnover free football. What we one of the things that we did not mention in the Lions game was he had another pass that hit a defensive back for the Saints right in the bread basket where it would have been six the other way. And the guy just could not hold on to it. Mm. Or this would have been, or that Lions game would have been very different. And this was after a number of weeks where golf has had multiple turnovers, including against the bears just a couple weeks ago that they were lucky to win. Yeah. Uh, if the Lions can knock off the turnovers, they are the better team, I firmly believe. But, oh my gosh, got to well, knock off the turnovers. So my one more thing for the Lions is going to be, can they track down pressure and actually stop a mobile quarterback? They are playing Justin Fields the second time, and they did not look great last time they played him or against any of the other mobile quarterbacks. And that's been a problem all year and they need to stop the bleeding because they have been winning games lately, but they have not been impressive as they were earlier in the year. Yeah. Basically the remaining quarterbacks on the schedule are pretty much all mobile quarterbacks for the lions. It's not a terrible, terribly difficult schedule. If you look at their actual Records, uh, yep. but they are all mobile quarterbacks. So the Lions are going to have to figure that out too. Yep. And remember, Jalen Hurts is looming in the playoffs, possibly to go through. And um, most likely, my one more thing for Chicago will be: Can the Bears front seven slow the Lions? running game because Montgomery had his revenge game scoring game winning touchdown last week. And Gibbs was explosive again last week. It is a quickly becoming one of the best one, two punches in the NFL at running. And the bears have a pretty good run game defense and they've been matching up well with their tackles and their linebackers coming into their own. One of the things that I would like to see from the bears is how they handle Laporta and Jamison Williams, Williams having getting a little bit more involved with the offense every week. We know that Amon Ra is going to attract a ton of coverage from the top corners for the Bears. But the the size mismatch of Laporta and the speed possible mismatch of Jamison Williams as he continues to get his head in the game could pose some problems for the Bears if they can't figure out what they're going to do with those kinds of receivers. As far as the actual game... I still got to pick the Lions, but this is a prime upset spot where it's a back-to-back road game against a mobile quarterback team that did well the first time. It's hard to beat a team twice. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think this is going to come down to how well the Bears pressure golf because this ties into both two of our one more things. Can golf avoid turnovers and can the Bears front seven control the line of scrimmage with especially with a lot of backups and pressure golf into turnovers like they did two weeks ago. And for the Bears, they need to capitalize on the turnovers and Fields is a couple more games in him coming off the bye. I'm going to take the Bears in the upset that they almost pulled off the last time. Moving it, down. It, oh. it ties into what I was saying too. It, the best way to deal with size and speed mismatches is to get the quarterback so fast that they don't have time to pull away. Monta sweat time. And uh, so from one CB hosting a game in the Midwest to another, we got the Indianapolis Colts at the Cincinnati Bengals. What's your one more thing for the road bank uh, Colts t- this week? 
For the Colts, they need to take advantage of the big plays that the Bengals are giving up. So I want to see Pittman go down the field and show that he's not just the 10 to 15 yard nifty route kind of receiver, but that he has that complete downfield game. Could be an Alex Pierce game. I want to see how Zach Moss does this week uh, because the Titans are a tough run game and it is likely he'll bounce back. So I want to see if he can uh, fill the shoes lost by uh, Jonathan Taylor this week, who might be back in a week or two. Uh, My one more thing for the Bengals will be to see how uh, Mixon looks because he had a good first half last week, but he ended up turning into a pumpkin in the second half. And, you know, it's going to matter because Browning had a great game, but a lot of that is probably because they were teeing off on the run uh, to stop the run in Cincinnati. And um, Mixon's going to need to continue to be efficient, especially if they uh, put less men in the box to slow him. Well, that was really the thing is to me also is if Browning can repeat uh, because I think that when all of a sudden he started throwing the ball downfield, like he'd been running the offense for a couple of years, then that really took the Jaguars by surprise. I don't think it was part of the game plan for them to defend that. Mm-hmm. So when they had to adjust on the fly, it was tough for them. Well, they're not going to surprise the Colts. Now they've seen it. Even if for just one game, they know it's part of the what they have to defend. So here we go. I want to see how the Colts adjust to defend a more balanced attack. As far as who actually wins the game, I think I'm going to pick the Bengals just because I still feel like both these teams are dealing with so many injuries, but I still feel like they're the more complete team. I'm going to go with the Colts because I'm going to go with some, I'm going to use some of your own teachings against you and say that we now they have two weeks, two and a half weeks of game film on Browning. And I think the Colts defense will be better prepared to slow him. And um, that will be the difference because Minshew is a solid veteran. And when he has a good game, they look really good. That's a fair point. So as far as our next game, we're going to speak. Speaking of those Jaguars, they are traveling up north to the lake to take on the Cleveland Browns. Uh, what do you think? I have no idea what to make of this game. This this could be uh, this is not exactly must see TV. So what do you think of uh, this matchup? There are two playoff teams. And by the way, fun fact, um, we have three games um, in Chicago and Ohio. The, the, the CB teams all at home in the Midwest. So, um, Bears, Bengals, Browns. Exactly. So I want to see how Flacco looks. Can he push the ball down the field and open up the run game for Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt to look good? Yeah, the Jags have absolutely been shell shocked and are imploding defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another team that could have used chase young in the trade as we've talked about before. Yeah. That's why I don't um, think the commanders <laughs> shopped them properly. I would say, because I can't believe that, anyway, the Niners were the only team to offer that high of a pick. Or if they were, then that is criminal malpractice. But in any case, talking about this particular game, the Browns running backs have to get on track here, particularly Jerome Ford. So that's who I'm looking to have a big day here. Let's see how the Browns establish the run, get back to just some power running against a team in Jacksonville that doesn't want to play in the cold North and is about to just get smacked in the mouth. Let's see how that works out. So you pick the Browns. It's so tough to pick the Browns right now, but I I think I will 
just because I'm going to lean on their defense. They, the Jags are more dangerous offensively, but I think the Browns' defense is is good enough that it'll be close at least. We've seen C.J. Beathard be a very competent backup quarterback in San Francisco, but he will not have Kyle Shanahan to hold his hand this week, and he will be going up against Miles Garrett and friends in the cold. I'm taking the Browns. Christian Kirk also possibly out for that game after he was injured last week. I'm cutting that. I'm not saying what the injury is. <laughs> no man wants to talk about that. Okay, on to the um, late afternoon We should game. definitely keep that. <laughs> <laughs> At least that little comment. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, on to the afternoon game. We've got the Vikings traveling out west to the great Roomba in the desert to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. And, boy, the Vikings have this buy could not have come at a better time for the Minnesota Vikings because they needed to regroup with their with their young quarterback and I want to see how he bounces back. Yeah, there was a lot of rumors heading into the bye week after his four interception meltdown against Chicago that he might get benched, but they have announced that Dobbs will get another run at this. And he has had all bye week. And I, well, my one more thing is going to be to see what kind of connection will Dobbs have with the newly returned Justin Jefferson? And will he look 100% coming off that, uh, I believe it was a hamstring or groin injury, some sort of soft tissue injury. But, yeah, where he was out for long enough to make sure that it was going to be worthwhile for him to come back. Yeah, there was rumors he could have come back a couple weeks ago. I think it's always smart to hold him out a little bit longer. And then he also had the extra bye week, so it bought him basically two extra weeks. Yeah. So, I And this is how... somebody who has him in fantasy, so trust me, he's legit when he says that you know that extra week or two can make a huge difference for soft tissue. My number one keeper. <laughs> I want to keep him healthy for the playoffs. So exactly. So yeah, um, that my, that's my one more thing. I want to see how Jefferson looks and does he have chemistry with Dobbs? Yeah, and I just wanted to see Dobbs get over the meltdown and try and get back on track with the Raiders, who have not been horrible defensively when once they ship McDaniel's out of town. In the, the, when we talk about last place teams, best last place teams, the Raiders are one of them. They are five and seven. They have the second best record amongst last place teams. But I am still taking the Vikings. I think coming off the bye, I think Dobbs. Um, we'll see. We'll see if uh, he's the joke that he gets worse the longer he has to get better with his teammates is. But I, I, I'm taking the Vikings. I'm going Vikings too. But don't be surprised if this is closer than a lot of people think. Yeah. We got one more game left, and this is the second time in a row we have a Monday night game, and the second time in a row the Packers will have a night game. The Packers are traveling to the Meadowlands in the New Jersey Giants to take on Tommy DeVito and friends. What's your one more thing? Are the, are the Giants still alive? I mean, are do they literally have a pulse? For the record, they were on bye week last week, and I don't think anybody even noticed. That is true. I mean, I think I said a couple weeks ago that, you know, what is that? Tommy DeVito, he sounds like he should be like a drummer for an 80s rock band. Or a mobster. That true. That too. Literally that. his name is in Goodfellas. Um, <laughs> but uh, so what's your one more thing on the Packers? Just take care of business, guys. Let's try. I want to see the Packers try and establish a run game against a Giants team that looks completely checked out and incompetent. 
I want to see how the Packers run defense does against Saquon Barkley, who is the entire offense for the Giants. And he looked really good two weeks ago before their bye week. And that is the weakness of the Packers. So if the Giants want any chance of keeping this close and winning it, they are going through Saquon against the weak Packers run defense. That being said, I'm taking the Packers. They're, they're hot and they have a quarterback that is competent. And I think they're ready to rock. Yeah, Packers easy on for me on this one. Packers probably big. But that's all the time we have here for the Midwest Football Podcast this week. We want to thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate all of the time you spend with us on a weekly basis. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you also to Raymond for our intro and outro music, to Chris Brandley for our logos. And until next time, we are taking it to the locker room where when we return after week 14, we will see you. I miss you already.